Welcome to the 64th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Will Allen has fired the imaginations of people across the country who are working toward a future where urban agriculture reclaims vacant lots, makes young people entrepreneurs, and plays a major role in the local food supply. Allen is the co-founder and CEO of Growing Power, a Milwaukee-based nonprofit that is proving that food production can be carried out on a viable scale in the city. Through a synthesis of low-cost farming technologies such as raised beds, aquaculture, vermiculture, and using compost as a greenhouse heating source, Growing Power produces vast quantities of food year-round at its main farming site, two acres of land located within the Milwaukee city limits. Recently, Growing Power has expanded food production at other urban and rural sites in and around Milwaukee and Chicago. Growing Power also offers training programs to other communities and organizations on, among other things, anaerobic digestion for food waste, soil remediation, aquaculture closed-loop systems, vermiculture, small and large-scale composting, permaculture, food distribution, marketing, value-added product development, youth development, community engagement, and participatory leadership development. The list goes on. A former pro basketball player and recent recipient of a MacArthur Genius Grant, the highly energetic Allen focuses as much as possible on reaching out to young people through internships, tours, and workshops. He is particularly interested in getting kids of color interested in producing food as a profitable business. Allen himself grew up on a farm, but his family left the land because of racism. When he went away to college, he swore he would never return to the farm. Now Allen sees intensive urban agriculture as a way to not only improve the diets and health of low-income city dwellers, but as an economic development opportunity for groups of people who up until now considered agriculture tainted with unfair, low-paying working conditions, as well as outright racism. I recently caught up with Allen while he was in Minnesota speaking at an Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy Forum on Urban Food Systems. Allen talked with me about how racism continues to permeate the food system all the way to the grocery store and how a truly sustainable agriculture is one that gets people of all races and backgrounds excited about farming as an entrepreneurial activity. Well, I think, um, you know, racism around the food system, especially for African Americans, started back uh, in slavery days, and it continues to today in terms of um, how uh, we have such a, a in, in unjust food system in terms of not having uh, healthy food or very poor food, even the grocery stores that do exist, uh, and I'm talking about chain stores, seem to put their worst managers and their worst employees in those stores. And then they complain about the fact that they're not making money. Uh, when they're, uh, study after study has shown all the economic power inside um, inner cities. Uh, poor people spend a lot of money on food. Uh, so I think a lot of it has to do with um, uh, good business practices, how you operate your business, because there are uh, instances of stores that have made money that operate inside inner cities and Latino communities and African-American communities and Asian communities. So, uh, But it really goes back to slavery days where people were oppressed, um, and today people still reflect on those days and to really inspire people of color to go back into food production uh, is much more difficult than it, than it is non-people, uh, uh, you know, white people, uh, per se. Uh, so I think it's uh, something we really have to work, work, work on in a multicultural way. 
that we work on every day. As a person of color, it's to my benefit to dismantle racism every day in my life. And I think every person of color believes that. But the foundations also have to go through that change because, like I said in the talk, less than 4% of foundation dollars go to people of color-led organizations. So they, that's why there are so few people of color doing what I'm doing because they just can't get enough assistance to be able to get through those early years of growth. Um, so we have a lot of work to do. Uh, we must end uh, this idea of redlining certain communities and saying we're not going to put um, grocery stores in those communities. Um, and we have to really think very consciously about how we work in communities, that we just don't give the folks, uh, that we do hire the lower-paying jobs, that we bring them into uh, some of the higher paying jobs and that we uh, elevate folks that they can become leaders in those organizations so they are interfacing with people that look like them and are of the same culture a lot of times uh, it's never going to be 100% that way but we should try to make that happen and I think that will build the confidence in, the, in those communities that people really do care regardless of their color because we want to create a situation regardless of uh, what color you are, that you can work in any community and be treated with dignity and respect. That's what I'm working to make happen. And that's why, uh, that's what drives me to do this work because I believe in, in cultural diversity and multiculturalism and as we move through this movement because everybody has right to the same food, the same good food. And unless we make that happen, then we can't have this sustainable uh we can't have sustainable communities or a sustainable country. So uh, it's to everybody's benefit that all of our citizens get the opportunity uh, to be successful. I know you, your background is your dad was a sharecropper down south. What drew you back? You apparently had that farming bug and it didn't go away. What, what uh, you know, a lot of people have it, but they don't follow through with it. What was it that kind of got you to follow through with that? Well, I, uh, when I left the farm at 18, I said never again. You know, when I was high school All-American, had 100 scholarship offers. I'm going to the University of Miami, uh, where I was the first African-American athlete in 67 to 71. Um, and I uh, had no intention. Uh, I was going to go play professional basketball. I was going to get my college degree, play professional basketball. Those were my goals. Um, I, I played professional basketball. My last stint was in Europe and Belgium. And I found a lot of, I had a lot of time on my hands. I found myself drifting out into uh, the farmland. And as I observed farmers doing the same practices that we did on our farm back in Maryland, and I wanted to, you know, I just kind of got sucked back into it over in Europe. And I actually started growing food. Uh, I got a house in the country and got 25 chickens and grew a big garden and there I was going back into something I said I would never do again uh, there was some hidden passion for the for farming that I had that I didn't know I had so you should never say never on anything because uh, here I am uh, 32 years later uh, operating six farms teaching people all over the world how to grow sustainable sustainably and uh, you know, uh, lovingness even more than probably my basketball career that that I loved. I mean, when I first started, discovered basketball at 13, I used to sleep with a basketball. So 
Uh, not that I'm sleeping with on compost, but you know. Uh, but I really enjoy um, what I do, and it's wonderful to be able to do something that you enjoy doing. Final question, kind of on along that line. A lot of these kids you work with, they don't have that background. You know, their family wasn't farming. Maybe way back when they do. But what is it that kind of I know is it is it first they just a way to get for them to get out of school or do something different or what is it that kind of that gets them going from seeing it as drudgery to really getting excited about it because you could tell by the some of the photos you showed and some of the stories you told there's really some of these kids now are in their twenties and they've really it's they've caught on they they've got a connection to that land you can really see it. Well, when you start with them at eight years old, it's easier to hook them because they have such curiosity. Uh, but as you get into their teens, the, that curiosity, they, their heads are filled with so much today. To get them engaged, it's really about a job at first. And But there's something very magical and spiritual about touching the soil over and over again. And I think uh, it's something I can't really explain, but kids get connected to the soil. And if they're able to make money at something, they, they realize that this isn't so so bad, this work. And I'm able to eat good, and I'm in better health. And, and uh, they start eating good food, and they stop going to the fast food joints. But that takes time for them to uh, make that transformation from eating bad food. You have to you know, give them the opportunity because truly kids know the difference between bad food and good food. Because when you ask any kid, any age, what is the best meal that they have for the year, they always talk about grandma going to grandma's house at Thanksgiving or Christmas. So I think we're fooling ourselves to think that kids don't know the difference. We just, they, don't, they just don't have access to that on a regular basis. Once you give them access to that good food, uh, then uh, the transformation takes place. So I think that's key. But we have to be realist in terms of if you feed kids bad food, they're not going to eat it. And they start eating stuff that's filled with, uh, you know, uh, sugars and, and salt and pepper. And, and uh, you know, it's not, it's not real food. It's not real good tasting food. But uh, I think that's where we're at. We have to just be realist about it. The kids do know what good food is. Well, and you make, the other thing is you make it look fun. <laughs> it's not just out there. Right. The key is to really make it fun. And uh, kids, uh, you know, that's one of the uh, uh, seven P's that I use to do projects. One of them is, uh, you know, uh, the first one I use is uh, pride. Uh, you, know, uh, you, you, you know, your pride drives you along a continuum and you got to have patience is the second one I use because you have to have patience so uh, to grow uh, passion. We, we don't start out by being passionate about this stuff. And the next thing uh, is performance because even though you have passion, you have to perform. And the next one is uh, perseverance, uh, which speaks for itself. And the next one would be, um, would be partners. You need uh, uh, partners. Uh, in this endeavor, and the last one is play. You got to have uh, some fun. You got to sit back and and look at your accomplishments and to re-energize yourself and celebrate uh, successes you have around food, and that puts you back into the uh, continuum that you got to do this over and over again. And every day is a new day. It's like when you're playing ball and you lose a game, you got to analyze it quickly and put it behind you. 
and the next day is a new day. You can't live off your laurels. So um, a lot of the stuff I learned in sports really helped me today because you can't be satisfied with your accomplishments every day. And it really drives me to understand we got another game to play the next day, and the game is to grow more food and train more people and to do those things uh, that we have to do to develop this food system that everybody's talking about. To learn more about Will Allen and Growing Power, go to www.growingpower.org. That's www.growingpower.org. Growing Power is also featured on the new film Fresh, a documentary by Anna Sophia Jones about creating a sustainable food system. More information on Fresh is at www.freshthemovie.com. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact me, Brian DeVore, at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call me at 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician for Ear to the Ground's theme music, and a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.